0: Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of Godly Conference, or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me is the official sidewalk shoveler of Two Rivers Community Church, Matthew McLaughlin. Hey Jeremy. (laughs) You've been shoveling, there's not a lot of snow, but you've been shoveling a lot.
1: Yes, just enough to be annoying.
0: Yes. You need a you need a blower so you can blow the snow. That That's would, what my neighbors do.
1: It's a possibility. Yeah. We're back here today
0: to discuss doctrinal and practical matters like we always try to do. Today we're going to be discussing the doctrine of the Trinity. There are some concerning errors um, about the Trinity being promoted on the internet. Uh, Twitter and and different blogs, and, and some of this is even coming from well-known seminaries, but we shall not name names, at least today, maybe some other day. <laughs> I believe especially that this is a very concerning error. It's important for us to understand so, so that we understand the error itself, and one of the things that I learned in when I was in Bible college, is a lot of times you better understand the truth, the true biblical view, um, when you understand the errors. And so that's my hope today, is that you'll better understand the biblical and historical view of the Trinity to a better degree than you did when you first tuned in. In order to lay the foundation, um, we've we've done some other episodes about the Trinity, even in our series about the Holy Spirit, which we haven't finished yet. But we'll get back to. Um, we talked about the Spirit's relationship in the Trinity. Uh, we did an, I think it was an entire episode on the Trinity. So there's other things that you can listen to, to even in our back catalog, if you want to refresh your memory on those things. But so today, first of all, I just want to lay out the three foundations for the doctrine of the Trinity. And even those people who are promoting uh, this error um, would agree with these things, um, but we'll show you where the error is when we get there. So first, the Bible teaches that there's one God. In the Old Testament and in, and in the New, the Bible teaches that there's one God. In Deuteronomy Chapter 6 That's is where the Shema is. It says, the Lord our God is one. Um, while the nations had their idols, and there's debate on whether whether there's any spiritual being behind those idols or not, Israel always only believed in one God. Well, I shouldn't say that because sometimes they slipped into idolatry. But the, the Bible always taught that there is only one God. You see it. In the first five books of the Mo of Moses, you see it in the prophets. They all they all preach and teach that there's one God. Even in the New Testament, it continues that there's only one God. Um, so this is consistent throughout uh, the Scriptures that there's one God. Yet in the New Testament, especially though it's it's there, but remember the the Old Testament when. Before Christ the lights weren't on So some of these things were there But they really couldn't be seen until Christ came But especially in the New Testament There are three persons who are called God The Father, the Son, and the Spirit So each of these persons are God Um, There's never any debate about whether the Father is God or not The debate is about whether the Son and the Spirit are God. John 1, one is pretty clarifying when it says, the Word is God. Um, and of course later on it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, speaking of Christ. So, and there's plenty of other passages, and even, even if you don't look at what is said, but if you look at Jesus' actions in the New Testament, it's clear that he is promoting the idea he's God. In fact, the Jews tried to stone him because he was making himself equal with God, and and that that would be blasphemy if it weren't true. And of course, the Holy Spirit, there's not as much said about the Spirit in the Scriptures, uh, but in Acts chapter 5, in the, when Ananias and Sapphira lied, Peter first said to Ananias you have lied to God and then he said you have lied to the Holy Spirit so there's a parallel in that passage and the implication is the Spirit is God there's other places as well uh, but I'm just trying to give a a brief overview Um, I mean Matthew 28 verses 19 and following the baptismal formula show that there's one name yet there's three persons so there's one God three persons that's the traditional formula and then so that so the first foundation stone is there's one God the second foundation stone is that there are three persons and then number three these persons are co-eternal and co-equal so they're they're equal with one another and this is really where the problem comes with the error that's being promoted They end up making God not equal. So, those are the three foundation stones of Christian Trinitarianism. In order to focus on the error, we have to better understand the relationship between the three persons, okay? This is where it can get heady, okay? (laughs) So, there are distinctions between the Father, Son, and the person. Father, Son, and the Spirit. There's distinctions or differences between them. And I think the best way to... There's actually two differences, all right? The best way to do that is called one processions and the other missions. Now, the missions we understand. We know that the Father didn't become incarnate and die on the cross. We know it's not the Father who came on the day of Pentecost and baptized uh, people into the Spirit. So we see different roles within God's work of creation and redemption. The Father has a role, the Son has a role, the Spirit has a role, and those roles are different. These are the missions of the persons. Okay. The processions, though, are a little more difficult. Let me read part of the Athanasian Creed that I think explains this it says Athanasian Creed the father is made of none neither created nor begotten the father the son is of the father alone not made nor created but begotten the holy spirit is of the father and of the son neither made nor created nor begotten but proceeding, so this difference and these are eternal differences. Okay, so the Father then is not is made by none. No one made the Father. No one created him. Neither is he created nor begotten. Okay, it goes on to say of the Son: the Son is of the Father alone, not not made nor created, but begotten. So begotten means it's a figurative expression when we're applying it to God. When we apply it to people, it means to give birth. Okay, but because the Son was not created or made, <laughs> he couldn't have he couldn't have uh, he lit he's always been he couldn't have literally been born um, from the Father. So it's a figurative way of speaking to show uh, the son's relationship to the father and how they differ so the father is not begotten Um, the son didn't beget the father now this should this is one of the things you have to keep in mind because this is eternal this is not chronological order so what i'm not saying and what what theologians through church history are not saying is that first there was the father and then he produced the son This is a logical order, okay? So if there's a father, then logically that father has to have a son. But the moment the father has the son, he becomes a father. He has always had the son, then he's always been the father. And if he's always been the father, then Christ has always been the son. So it's a logical order, not a chronological order, okay? If, if we say it's a chronological order, then we fall into other heretical views uh, like what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. So it's not a chronological order. And then it goes on to say of the Spirit that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So they, eat, they have a relationship one to another. The Father begets the Son, but He's not begotten. The Son is begotten. The Spirit proceeds. These are the traditional, historical ways of making distinctions between the persons in the Trinity. Their processions, which we just talked about, and their missions. So, Matthew, before I go on, <laughs> what do I need to clarify? Or maybe you can clarify something.
1: I think it should make sense, as long as we keep in mind that Like you said, it's not a chronological order, it's a logical. So that God has always existed. And so he's existed in three persons, but there's a logical order that proceeds from that. I think if we keep that in mind, we should be doing okay. The error we want to deal with,
0: uh, it goes by several different acronyms. Uh, There's ESS, EFS, and ERAS. Now, there are, there are subtle differences between these from the people who promote them, but they basically are all teaching the same thing. I'll tell you what E-R-A-S stands, because that helps to understand the difference. E-R-A-S stands for Eternal Relations of Authority and Submission. Okay, We talked about the eternal relations, right? The processions, those are the eternal relations. That is historically how the church has made a distinction between the persons in the Trinity. What E.R.A.S. and the others do is they make the distinction based on the fact that the Father has authority and the Son submits. So this is an eternal thing. This isn't just that the Son became a man and as a man submitted to the will of the Father. Everybody agrees with that. There's no Argument about that. The problem is, is the proponents of ESS, ERAS, and all those want to make what Christ did as a man be what He did as God in the person of the Trinity, so that within the Trinity, the one of the distinctions between the Father and the Son is that the Father is has a position of authority and the Son has a position of submission. This, I'll quote from the Athanasian Creed to show that this is not historically what the church has taught. It says in the Athanasian Creed, in this trinity, none is afore or after another, none is greater or less than another. And, And by positing this idea of a relationship of authority and submission, they've They've introduced a greater or less than within the Trinity. Now they would argue; they argue against that, and I I understand that, but I don't see any way around it. Um, what they've introduced degrees into the Trinity, so that the Father has something greater than the Son has, so they're unequal. They're not they're not equal in power and glory because. The father has more authority than the son. There are other issues with it as well. Um, I don't want to go (laughs) delve too much into the doctrine of simplicity, but uh, simplicity basically means whatever God has, he is. So we don't believe that God just has love for people. We believe what the Bible says, that God is love. Love is of the essence of God. So if God has authority, he is authoritative. So if Jesus is God, then he has authority and it's the same authority as the Father. Otherwise you're dividing the Trinity and making three gods. So you're either either way you slice it what is happening with these proponents of ESS is there is that they they are making um, the tr- dividing the Trinity into three gods,
1: and this is a very serious error. The f- that Jeremy lays out the fundamental problem. But now let's kind of tone it a little bit and figure. Okay, so how or why do we get here? So one of the one of the reasons why you see a rise in whatever acronym you like, ESS, <laughs> e- EFS, ERAS is it goes back to a conversation that we've had, I think we did an episode on it before, on complementarianism. So complementarian versus egalitarian, or to say it simply, so we quit using all the isms, is how does the Bible define gender roles? What does gender roles look like? And so what happens is... Even though this has been around since the 4th century because it traces back to Arianism and you can read Bavnik and he talks about it back in his Systematic. Functionally, what's happening is they're seeking a theological explanation to bolster their view of complementarianism. Now, here's the first caveat we have to put in. Jeremy and I both are about as hardcore, fundamental complementarianism as you're going to find. So what we're not arguing is that somehow complementarianism is wrong. Although the
0: proponents of ESS insist Correct. that if you don't agree with ESS, then you cannot be a complementarian.
1: Right. We would say that's wrong. Right. So what we're saying is is that, is that functionally what's happening is they're taking a bad argument to bolster a good a good theology. And so what we're trying to say is we well, first of all we're seeking to separate the two and say while well, complementarianism is true you can't get there by using ESS. So what they will say is that since the father the son is subordinate to the father in the same way women are subordinate to their husbands, and that, and you see it in varying degrees and forms, whether that's eternal, whether that's in role, whether that's in authority. They argue different things about what that actually looks like, but that's functionally what they're seeking to argue. So, I, but and I think that to be honest
0: with you, to be up front, I think. ESS would lead more to patriarchy than complementarianism.
1: So would I. I would completely agree with that. That, because But that, that's another issue for another day. It is. So that's how they seek to frame it. So that's how we get to this, what we would call an error of ESS, this, this error that somehow the sun is, is eternally subordinate to the Father in, in how they relate to one another. And so then the question becomes, all right, how do we then explain again why ESS is wrong,
0: Jeremy? Because it divides God. It makes three persons rather than one. Before we go on that, I do want to say, I want to go back to complementarianism for a minute. Because the problem here is that these guys, there's several issues, but I'm only going to talk about one. The problem is that these guys are trying to root their view of gender roles in the being of the Trinity. There's no need to do that. Our gender roles are rooted in creation. So why did God create men and women and design us to have different roles within marriage and in the church because he wanted to. It doesn't have anything to do with the, the inner workings of the Trinity which w- would make it really dicey anyway because it's <laughs> you know, what what we can say about the Trinity is very limited. I mean, we can't. there are some things that we can say and we know from scripture. But it's, it's really a dicey situation, because God ultimately is incomprehensible. We can apprehend things about him and understand certain things, but it, it, it's really a dicey situation to base the roles, gender roles within marriage in the church based on the inner workings of the Trinity that are mostly mysterious. We base it in creation. We base it in Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And and Ephesians five and <laughs> all those places, so that's where we see the gender roles coming out, not from the inner workings of Trin- Trinity. I think this is an unnecessary move. Um, there's reasons for it, but we're not going. There's historical reasons why they're reacting this way. I think, um, but I think it's a it's a overreaction to another error. That we're not going to discuss today, (laughs) right? So, so what what's happening then is they're they're replacing the traditional um, distinctions of God the Father being the begetter with God the Son being begotten with this idea of uh, authority and subordination. So they're replacing that kind of idea. And part of it they get because God is called a father. Well, fathers are to have authority in the home, right? Mm-hmm. Right. right. We, we understand that from Scripture. That's one of the, the roles. The problem is is we always have to remember when we're talking about God that these these terms don't apply to him exactly the same as they apply to you and me. Okay. So, especially when it comes to the inner workings of the Trinity, and that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about how God acts towards his creation, but God in and of himself is what we're talking about. What traditionally has been taught by Christians throughout the centuries is God is the Father in the sense that he beget Christ, that he is unbegotten, and Christ was begotten of him. A human father with, with his wife begets children. Now that's a chronological situation but what what we' when we use the word father to explain that situation it's similar to what is happening within the Trinity but it's not a logical situation but they what's happening is they're assuming too much of the word word father. they're assuming that it means authority when the church, Historically, has never understood it to mean that the Father has greater authority than the Son, and so we have to we have to be careful u- using these what ultimately are um, anthropomorphisms speaking about God, making the the word everything we th- it means to us and applying it to God, because the inner workings of the Trinity uh, don't work that way, right. I think
1: another one of the errors is they will go to, they'll see subordination as when Jesus was on earth. And then they seek to apply it, like you were saying, they seek to apply that back to, well, if he's subordinate to the Father when he's on earth, then he has to be, he's always been subordinate that what like you said that what that does is that divides Jesus's nature
0: right well and we talked about this in Sunday school um, when Jesus became a man he took on a new nature right so the subordination was a new thing because he had a new nature okay the divine nature didn't change correct okay there was nothing taken away from the divine nature. A human nature was added, so there is there are new things that Christ does. And as a man, Christ did indeed submit to the Father. We th- see it throughout the Gospels. No one is arguing about that. The problem is, is when you take that what Jesus does as a man and transfer and transfer it into the Trinity, because then. That creates problems. I don't I can't think of the word to say, but it, it obviously creates problems. And it would introduce change into God. Right. Because at one time he wasn't a man, <laughs> so was he not submitting before? That's why they have to say he's always done it. But um, one of the things we have to do when we're reading the Bible is make sure that we understand when it's speaking of Jesus, is it speaking of his divine nature? Or is it speaking of his human nature, and we have to be careful to keep those separate, um, because Jesus wasn't a divinized human being. He he was truly God and truly man. He didn't. And if those things are confused, then then he's not truly man, and he's not truly God. He's something other than that. So. We have to be careful about how we think about Christ and his human nature, then, so when Christ said, "The Father is greater than I he the He meant not that the Father is greater than I as God, he meant the as a man as the mediator Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Father is greater than him he didn't He wasn't saying anything about his the eternal relationship between him and the Father. Um, so we have to be careful of that. And I, I think this is an area where they're taking the missions of the Trinity and putting them back into the into the inner workings of the Trinity. I, I think a, some of this is a, a lack of clear thinking, maybe. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say that because many of the people have PhDs, been longtime professors at seminaries and things like that. So I don't want to immediately
1: jump to that yeah I, I almost Where do you go? i it's... I almost think it's a it's a it comes from overthinking rather than taking scripture as what it says it's seeking to introduce logic and reason into it and then seeking to make a system that makes sense rather than coming to the place to understand that there are things that will never make sense because we're finite and god's infinite and so we we they want we want all of us seek to have a complete systematic, and the reality is is that we can't get a complete systematic because God in His wisdom has left pieces out. He just he just has.
0: Well, I don't know that is that He left pieces out like, as much as He's incomprehensible. Well, He's and...
1: incomprehensible. But what <laughs> I mean by leaving pieces, out, there are things that. We think we understand, but he hasn't given us as much clarity and as much enlightenment on it as in other things. Right. And so it's so there are places where the vision's foggy. It just is. Right. And we have to make the decision: Are we okay with that, or do we try to say, "Well, I can't really see, but I want to put it together anyways"?
0: And and I understand what you're saying. Right. I don't disagree with you, but we do have to be careful. Because a lot of people want to jump to mystery well, this is before they've done any work. Right. They're just like, well, it doesn't matter. Right. It's, and- it's a mystery. We can't figure it out. Because there are things that God has revealed, clearly. Mm-hmm. or Well, there are things that God has revealed that you have to dig for. Correct. You have to work. It's like, it's mining. Yes. Okay? It's not easy labor. and And this is why we're blessed to have the church fathers... The early reformers, the reformers, post reformers, the particular Baptist, all these guys that have gone before us and have done a lot of the work. <laughs> we just got to go, some of us, so we just got to go back and do the reading in order to understand the work they've done. But we're almost out of time, but I, I, there's one other thing I do want to mention. Um, it has to do with the order. We do speak of an order within the Trinity because we talk about the first person and the second person and the third person. That order, though, is related to their processions. Okay, the father begets you. So, logically, (laughs) in order to have a son, you have to first have a father, so he's. The first person of the Trinity. The Son is begotten, so he's the second person of the Trinity. And the Father and Son together uh, send the Spirit, um, so he's the third person of the Trinity. That doesn't this doesn't say anything about their equality. They are equal. Uh, this is just again, logical order, not chronological order, not order of superiority or anything like that. It's just a logical order. If there's a father, there must come a son logically follows a father. And if the father and son are sending the Spirit, then the father and son logically have to be before the sending of the Spirit. So it's a logical order, not an order of superiority, not an order that has anything to do with inequality. Um, The persons of the Trinity are 100% equal The Father has authority, the Son has authority, and the Spirit have authority. They all have the same authority. There's no differences in authority within the Trinity. And that ultimately is the error of ESS, is that they posit degrees of authority within the Trinity, which ends up making um, three gods. And uh, I hope I don't have to explain why that's
1: bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, one last question. Is there any resources that you think you can think of that if people wanted to read more, whether it's about the Trinity or specifically about this that you would push people to while well, you're thinking, one book I would suggest is Matthew Barrett, who's a professor at Midwestern, yes. just came out with a book called Simply Trinity. It's easy to read. It he does a really good job with it. So if you're not if you want to understand more about the Trinity Simply Trinity by Matthew Bay would be one resource. Can you think of any others that you would push people to to understand whether it's the Trinity or specifically the problem with ESS?
0: Yeah, Michael Haken has a short little book, less than 100 pages, called Giving Glory to the Consubstantial Trinity. Um, You'll impress your friends with a book with a title like that, even though it's a short little pamphlet. It do, it doesn't really delve into the, theology as much, but it gives you the history and some of the names. It's a good resource to to familiarize yourself with the history. And then um, uh, there's a guy on uh, YouTube uh, named Josh Summers. He he's doing some great work on uh, the issues of the Trinity and simplicity. We'll we'll put a
1: link up there on our Facebook account. Right when we post this episode. Yeah. So. In summary, God is one God with three distinct persons who have missions, but he is unified in one order, and that order, that God, is equal in His author- In their authority. This is why it's important for us to understand the Trinity, so seek to... Dig deep to understand those things which God has revealed to us. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to questions, comments, or even dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But now, once again, we want to thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we are striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.